0: Hi, everyone. Welcome back to our second segment of the academic perspective. Today, we're interviewing Dr. Gregory Brown from the University of North Carolina. Dr. Brown has long had an interest in finance and economics. He worked at the board of directors at the Federal Reserve System before coming to UNC. And once he got to Chapel Hill, he carved out a path for himself as a leader and an entrepreneur at the Keenan Flagler School of Business. He founded the Capital Markets Laboratory, the School's Center for Excellence in Investment Management, and the Institute for Private Capital. He's been a true leader in the world of private capital research, and I'm thrilled to have him on. I'm your host, Shruti Rao, and this is Counting on Capital. All right, Dr. Brown, thank you so much for joining us. It's a pleasure to have you on. You are a prominent researcher at UNC's Keenan Flagler School of Business, and you've dedicated much of your work to studying private capital. Previously, you've worked in the Federal Reserve System and even in artist relations for Hollywood. So I'm curious, how did you get interested in business and what led you to study private equity?
1: Well, I've actually always had a pretty strong interest in finance and in business uh in even as a as a child I remember like reading my dad's uh copy of the Wall Street Journal that would that would uh come home with him and uh when I was an undergraduate there wasn't a business major um I I was interested in in economics and ended up doing a, a double major in economics and and physics uh, that turned into me working at the Federal Reserve, and and when I went uh, to work at the Fed and was thinking about grad school, the economists I was working with there said, you know, you're really much more interested in finance than you are in uh, economics, so you should look at finance programs, and so I um, I did that, ended up getting a PhD in finance, and then as, uh, as part of my research agenda, ended up getting quite interested in sort of things that were happening on the, the cutting edge of finance, so new market innovations at the time, that was really the development of derivative markets and hedge funds and alternative investments, and and that turned into, I'd say, a broader interest in terms of how alternative investments, broadly speaking, fit into the asset management and portfolio management um, process.
0: So, Dr. Brown, you were one of the early advisors to the Private Equity Research Consortium back in 2013. It was a conference that brought together scholars across different universities to study private equity. The goal was to improve research barriers of data collection and to develop a better understanding of the impact of private equity. Looking back, what do you think have been the biggest takeaways and learnings from the research?
1: Yeah, I mean, at the time, uh, there was really just no good large sample evidence in terms of what the performance of private equity had been. There, There were not well-established comprehensive databases. So it was a very simple task initially, which was just how do we better understand what private equity looks like as an asset class? So there were very wide uh, divergences in terms of what performance uh, uh, metrics had been historically at, at the time. So for example, the the Thomson database had performance numbers that were close to 1,000 basis points below the numbers that uh, the Cambridge um, indices had and And people just weren't they just weren 't sure what what the asset class looked like from a a basic performance perspective, so we really wanted to get research quality data so that we could answer fundamental questions about the asset class and you know, that led us um to a variety of data sources but the one that's been most important for us is the Burgess um, data set because that data' is sourced directly from limited partners it's the, it's the cash flows that the limited partners experience so it's it's exact Um, performance, net of fees, Um, it's fairly comprehensive, it's free of selection bias because there's no voluntary um, reporting and it's not uh, gathered through freedom of information. Uh, And I think we've, over the last decade, been able to say with increasing precision, not just what the return characteristics of private equity have been, but also how the risk uh, compares to um, other types of equity investments and um, been able to get much more granular in terms of, of that type of analysis. So it's, I think it's been a big boon, um, both for academic researchers, but also for practitioners to just be able to understand much more clearly um, what, what the asset class is all about.
0: So let's talk about that in a little more detail. What does this research and new data set reveal about private equity's performance, especially in comparison to other asset classes?
1: Yeah, so so I think we've been able to show um, without any doubt that private equity has consistently outperformed uh, sort of large-cap public benchmarks. And this is true in the U.S. It's true internationally as well. Uh, and so I, I think that... It, at one point, there was a question like, you know, does private equity outperform? And I think certainly now the the view is um, it outperforms. The question is, does it outperform on a risk-adjusted basis? This is a more nuanced um, question because it's not as easy to observe what the risk characteristics are of private equity. So you can't just look at a monthly time series and calculate the standard deviation the way that you can for um, a public stock price, so you have to use more sophisticated uh, um, statistical methods to try to infer that and and I think you know where the where the research is right now is an agreement that private equity is a bit riskier um, than public equities when you look at uh, sort of the probably the best benchmark, which would be something like a you know small cap value type index, it is a little bit riskier than that small cap value index, which is itself riskier than large cap. Uh, total market index, um, but when you do those corrections um, and adjust for higher risk that probably comes through higher leverage, you still end up with what looks like superior performance from uh, from private equity versus these public market levered benchmarks so you know the, the, it looks as though you know historically over you know the last um, couple decades or so that that outperformance has been you know, between, you know, 100 and 300 basis points per year on average. It's varied some. It's been, um, I would say, somewhat lower on average in the last decade than in the previous decade. But if you look at the long history, the returns we've had in the last decade are sort of on par with the full sample um, that we can observe in in the Burgess data. So it's not clear that there's sort of a, a trend towards lower returns is uh, over the long haul as much as there is just variation over time. And, uh, you know, returns in the more recent decade are less than they were in the decade before that.
0: So when we think about this finding of private equity as a consistent high return asset class, why does that matter? What does it mean for investors, pension funds and the like?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, I, th- I think the return uh, for All asset classes has come down in the last um, decade, Um, so I think the extent that you have investors who are able to tolerate higher risk, uh, they would want uh, assets that that uh, have higher returns. So it's an appropriate asset class. Um, I don't think probably anybody should be you know hundred percent private equity uh, if you if you believe in in sort of a. Uh, efficient markets um, view of the world where the best thing you can do is hold a broadly diversified portfolio of all assets, then private equity should be a part of that portfolio and it should be part of that portfolio and sort of roughly the weight that private equity represents among all investable assets. So you're probably talking... You know, de- depending on your asset allocation, five to ten percent allocation to private equity in a in a broadly diversified portfolio, something like a, a pension fund or an endowment or a foundation portfolio or even a high net worth um, portfolio. So I think in, in that sense, yeah, you know, there's sort of a, a good reason to include it. It um, it expands the the set of investable assets. Um, there is, uh, I think, a debate as to whether. Private equity is really just levered public equity. Is there something unique about private equity? Uh, I think increasingly there's evidence to suggest that it is different uh, and and maybe it's different in sort of two interesting ways The, the first one is it, it gives you access to a different set of companies type of companies, and so that provides some diversification benefit and, and you know th- that, that could just be because of the industry or the geography or or the size. But I I think there's other aspects that are potentially important as well, which is the the way that private equity companies are run um, is potentially different than the way public companies are run. So the way my recent research has been thinking about this is public equity is a great way to to own a company if it's sort of steady as she goes, if if strategy is obvious, if operations um, are obvious, if you have good governance in place, you know, and you just need you just need access to cheap capital and you want liquidity for, for the shares. If instead you're in a situation where you might want to do something different, you need to reposition a company, it's in distress, or you need to do something strategically such as roll it up, or it's faced with uh, sort of a, uh, a shock to the product market that it's in, then maybe having a more concentrated ownership structure that's more nimble and can facilitate change is more efficient and a better way to create value. And so I think, you know, in my view, that's where private equity provides something unique um, is really the ownership structure and the governance and the agency issues around ownership are different for private companies and public companies. And that may let them do things that public companies just um, can't do as well.
0: You also founded and direct the Institute for Private Capital. Can you tell us more about the IPC? What are the most interesting ideas and findings that have come out of the IPC, and what work do you think still needs to be done in the future?
1: Sure, yeah. So so IPC really grew out of the, the effort, um, the original effort, around private equity research. Uh, so we, we realized early on that there was a gap in, in data across all alternative asset classes, and we just picked private equity as a place to start because it was probably the, the darkest um, corner of uh, of places to do research. There just wasn't hardly any data there that was reliable and publicly available at the time. So we we first focused in on private equity, Um, but the goal all along was really to shed light on the entire universe of alternative investments. So we've um, since expanded um, what was originally just the private equity research consortium, now includes a, a commercial real estate research effort called the Commercial Real Estate Data Alliance as well as an effort that's looking more broadly at active management strategies that's called the Active Management Research Alliance. We're looking mostly at hedge funds right now, but really in a, in a broader sense, just, you know, how do we think about endowment style investing where you have a large percentage of a portfolio that is in illiquid or private um, investments. So, you know, how does that fundamentally change the, the investment process that we all learned in, in graduate school?
0: There's been a tremendous amount of public discourse about private equity and the role of private capital, more generally, in the economy. What do we know about how private equity impacts small businesses and job creation? And what do you think needs to be done to make sure that private capital is deployed in a way that is sustainable and ethical?
1: Yeah, I mean, obviously, there's been a lot of of, uh, public policy questions around, you know, basically, is private equity, you know, good or bad for the economy? Um you know I think this is a nuanced question because I I think the answer is 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 yes it's it's both good and bad it depends on the particular situation that you're in uh, depends on you know whether you're an investor or a worker, and if you're a worker, which company you work for. So, I mean, these are really nuanced um, questions, and I think the academic research um, gets at this. And I'm, I'm, I'm glad that you're also doing a session with Josh Lerner because he's done some very important research in this area that, for example, shows the difference in employment trends for um, private equity transactions that are public to private transactions versus private to private transactions. And so, you know, what, what you see there in the data is, you know, there's significant job losses at public to private transactions, but there's significant job gains at private to private transactions. And that has very much to do with why there are public to private transactions. These are public companies that have really run into trouble and they, they need um, something to happen in order to have them continue to be viable operating entities. And often that's some sort of restructuring. And that restructuring could could happen in different ways. It could it could happen by having a private equity owner come in and restructure it. It could also happen through the bankruptcy process or through acquisition by another strategic buyer. And so to simply say, oh, you know, private equity is bad because it bought and restructured this company, is is not the right comparison. It's what would have happened to that company absent that private equity buyer. You know, would they have gone through bankruptcy and been liquidated, and, and instead of having a 15% job loss on average, you'd have 100% job loss. Um, or, you know, how would it have compared to to the outcome if there was a strategic buyer? You know, maybe they would have shut down more divisions, or maybe they would have grown the company. So so I think there's a lot of nuance in this analysis to understand, you know, what are the overall implications for, for the economy? Those can be done at a micro level by looking at individual companies the way that Josh did, which is really powerful. It's, that's really important research. It can also be done at a more macro level and some of the work that i've done has looked at that where we've said okay let's look at all of the private equity investment that went into a particular industry in a particular year in a particular country and then see what happened to the other companies in that in that industry Um, in particular the public companies in that industry were they harmed or did they benefit you know what happened to their capital structure what happened to their capital investment and you know what happened to overall employment gains. And, and what we found was sort of on balance that other companies in the industry responded in a way that's pretty intuitive. They did things that made them more competitive. So what happened was private equity came in, um, they acquired a company, they made that company more competitive, and that caused the other companies in the same sector to become more competitive as a natural response to that higher level of competition. So overall, that's a good thing, right? That's that's increased aggregate productivity for that sector. That's a good thing for the economy in the long run. But of course, I think from a public policy standpoint, we have to understand that there are dislocations there. There probably were people that you know worked for less efficient units that got laid off, and and you know those may or may not be offset by the people um, who gained jobs in more efficient um, units. So you know it there's there's just a lot of nuance here. There's not good you know sort of um, tweets that capture uh, this or sound bites or you know it's it's something where I think you really have to be a careful empiricist to understand what's going on. Um, the the I think the final word on on all of this research is that you know regardless of the study um, whether they find job gains or losses or leverage or higher risk or whatever almost every single study finds that there are productivity gains so even in Josh uh, Lerner's work where he finds that um, the public to private companies shed jobs. They actually those companies become more efficient, they become more productive. So from an aggregate economic perspective, that's actually a net benefit um, to the economy as long as we can find productive things for those people who lost their jobs along the way to do um, that You know, keep them from being uh, you know, sort of adversely affected in the long run.
0: So for my last question, I want to shift gears and talk about the coronavirus crisis. This crisis is having a significant effect, not just on public health, but also on the economy. As we think about private equity amongst the coronavirus crisis, do you think there's a constructive role that private equity could help play?
1: Yeah, I mean, it, this is a tough time for, for everybody. I think um, we're going to get a much better handle for what the true risks of, of private equity-backed companies are right now and how important um, the, the higher leverage that they tend to have is. Um, there's, I think, certainly some concerns that that higher leverage is is going to be a problem going forward for those companies. But sort of regardless of, of the current private equity-backed companies, I think going forward, there is going to be a huge need for restructuring, right? There's going to be a, uh, you know, the, the economy has fundamentally changed. If for no other reason than we know that there are risks embedded in our economy that we were not aware of before, these could be supply chain risks, these could just be um, you know broader risk to to sectors like hospitality and and um, the food and beverage industry, so I think private equity, because it is very good at restructuring companies, is going to play an important role in terms of figuring out what the economy should look like going forward um, they 're going to they 're going to have the expertise to take some of these companies that are currently experiencing distress and uh, and help write them uh, and uh, fortunately, I think that there is a lot of capital on the sidelines right now, both coming through private equity channels, but also the Fed has said that it's clearly going to support um, the credit markets in terms of being able to provide um, additional debt to the private sector. So, my hope is that you know when the economy does start um, to reopen and we start seeing uh, economic growth again that the companies that need to be restructured are going to be helped by the expertise that is coming from private uh, capital investors, as well as the broader financial system.
0: All right. Well, Dr. Brown, thank you so much for your time. It's been a pleasure to have you on.
1: Yes. Thank you. Uh, I really enjoyed doing it.
0: And that's a wrap, everyone. In today's conversation, we discussed some of the same themes as we did last time with Josh Lerner, such as the lack of research quality data and the consistent finding that private equity has been shown to increase productivity. Research shows that PE will come in and increase productivity and that entire industries become more productive to match their competitors. In an era where some are concerned about American productivity growth, I agree that this is good news. Still, There are important questions here we need greater clarity on, like what does this mean for jobs and individual workers? The dialogue continues in our next episode where we interview Professor Stephen Kaplan at the University of Chicago. Dr. Kaplan is a research associate at the National Bureau of Economic Research and an associate editor of the Journal of Financial Economics. Thanks for listening, everyone. I'm your host, Shruti Rao, and this is Counting on Capital.